You and I are not the heroes of the Bible. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. So today we want to encourage you to be people of the book, finding your story in his story, in history, in salvation history, finding your story in there. Being people of the book. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Today, we continue our series, Unwrapped, exploring how the entire Bible points to Jesus as the hero. So how do we fit into God's divine plan? Today, David invites us to find our place in God's story in part one of his message called, Your Story in His Story. Uh, Let's get into today's message. Uh, We'll start with a review of where we've come from. Uh, The first week we looked at why is the Bible the authoritative, infallible rule of God in all areas of faith and practice. The basic reason is because Jesus said so. And if Jesus is God, the revelation, uh, the resurrection proves it. If Jesus is God, then his view toward the Old Testament, which he quoted all the time, must be God's view. So therefore, the Old Testament is the word of God. He appointed the apostles to write the New Testament. If God appointed the apostles to write the New Testament and Jesus said to them, as he did, your words will be my words when you write these words to the different churches. Therefore, the New Testament must be the Word of God, because God's the one who appointed the apostles to write it. So that's what we looked at the first week. Last week, we looked at the amazing unity of the Bible in what's called salvation history, beginning with Genesis 1-1, concluding with Revelation 22 in 35 minutes. And I'm still alive to tell about it. You know, isn't that great? And I encourage all of you to look at that message and see how the Bible fits together in what's called salvation history. It's the skeleton of the beautiful unity of the Bible, an amazing unity in the Bible, And now it's your job for the rest of your life to put meat on that bones. That was last week. Today's message is all about finding your story in history or his story. Finding your story in his story, in history, in salvation history, finding your story in there. That's what we'll look at today. I have two different sections of scripture I want to use as my platform for preaching to you today. First of all, from Luke 24, verses 44 through 48. Then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's the Old Testament. Those three divisions is basically the Old Testament. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The second section of Scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6 and verse 11. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud, in the sea, And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Then verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. So today we want to encourage you to be people of the book. That was a term often derisively used of Christians, especially by Muslims, as they came about in the 7th century. 
But I find that moniker very pleasing to be hung around my neck. Call me a person of the book anytime you want to. Christians should be people of the book. We should be under the authority of the word of God. Whatever God's word says should be what we say and do. Now, if that is true, one of the things we need to do in reading and studying God's word, unwrapping it as this series teaches, is to find our story in God's story of salvation history. Now, you need to know, first of all, as we look at this message, in Luke 24, verses 44 through 48, as two of Jesus' disciples who were forlorn after Jesus' death, walking toward their home in Emmaus, had a strange person walk alongside them, and during that four- to eight-hour trip, opened up the whole Old Testament, the Torah, the historical books, the Psalms and wisdom literature, the prophets, and basically showed how Jesus and his death and resurrection and salvation through him was all throughout the Old Testament, everywhere. And at the end of the journey, then this person broke bread with them, and in the breaking of the bread, they knew it was Jesus. And the moment he did so, he disappeared. Now, here's my point. You need to know that everything in the Old Testament, and indeed everything in the Bible, is talking about Jesus. He's the hero of the Bible. You and I are not the heroes of the Bible. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. And when you read the Old and New Testaments, you need to constantly look for types and symbols of Jesus' death, resurrection in those places. Now, make it clear today, from me to your heart, from my to your heart, that Jesus is the hero of the Bible. Got it? Everybody got that? Jesus is the hero of the Bible. But there are some people saying today, don't look for the Bible to talk about your needs. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. And it is all about Jesus, but to say that it doesn't address yours and my needs is simply wrong. Because 1 Corinthians 11 says that all those Old Testament stories of the people of God in the wilderness and and the rock being broken open and giving them water, the rock being Jesus who traveled with them, the manna being bread from heaven, like Jesus is the bread of life. All of those stories are examples for how you should live. So therefore, when you read the Bible, first look for the true hero, Jesus. Look for the cross, resurrection, and ascension even in those stories, but also look for how it may speak to you and your situation, and your heart, because it's meant to do that. It's not about you, but you should find your story in his story, in salvation history. Let me give you 11 examples of how that could be. First of all, are any of you waiting for something right now? Are you in that waiting room where God has placed you? Well, if so... Read the story of Abraham. God gave him a great promise. And for 25 years, he had to wait for the promise of that son. Have you waited 25 years yet? Probably not. But in that time, God taught him, as he does us, many great lessons. One of them being that God's not a genie in a bottle. You don't get God and rub him, and he appears to you and says, my wish is your command. He doesn't do that. You're God's servant. God's not your servant. So that's one lesson you learn in waiting. What else is God builds faith muscles like no other time when we're waiting. Resistance builds physical muscles. Resistance builds spiritual muscles. And when you have to wait for something a long time, 
It builds your faith muscles. Now, people ask me all the time, how does God answer prayers? The traditional answer has been God says, yes, wait, and no. I don't think God ever says no to us. I really don't. Here's what I think God does when he's not answering our prayers in his timing, in our timing. He's saying to us either I'm going to answer yes, or I'm answering wait, or I'm saying something better is going to come. There's no no from God. It's always I've got something better for you. So it's building our faith muscles, especially when we're not getting what we want. Are you depressed today? Then go read the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 and find your story in his story. Elijah thought when he beat the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18 that there was going to be revival that broke out in the land and evil King Ahab and his queen Jezebel would be overthrown. When he defeated them through God's mighty power, it didn't happen. And he heard the rumor that Jezebel was coming after him to kill him. And so he ran long distance into a great wilderness where he fell under a broom tree. And he cried out to God, take me home. I'm so depressed. Just let me die. Ever felt like that? I have. More than once. Just exhausted. Let me tell you where most depression, discouragement, and disappointment comes from. It's when you have an unmet expectation in your life. Uh, Elijah expected revival. It didn't happen. He runs away, falls under a broom tree, discouraged, depressed. And what's interesting is how God healed Elijah. You know what he did? First thing he did, gave him water. Some of you are drinking so many sugary drinks right now, you're only complicating your physical health. And there is a direct connection between your physical body and your soul. And we're not taking care of one, the other's affected. So God gave him lots of good, clean water. Do it. The next thing you do is he fed him manna from heaven, which I would guess since it's the angel's food, is perfectly healthy. He gave him healthy food. If you're discouraged and depressed right now, get on a good diet. Get rid of those bad carbs. Get all, rid of all those sugars that are just depleting your system. You've only got so much energy to fight this depression. If your body's using it to ingest your sugars and your bad carbs, you can't get well. So God gave him water, then he gave him food, and then he put him to sleep. Most studies show you need eight to nine hours of sleep every night to replenish your body. That's so interesting to me. God did not put Elijah on Prozac. Now, I I know I'm treading into some dangerous places right now because SSRIs are given out by doctors like candy. I know a friend of mine who went into his doctor for a normal physical, and the doctor said, what's going on with you? He said, had a really, really tough last couple of months. He said, do you want some SSRIs? I'm going, why? Why not first try Lots of good water, a good diet, and sleep. And then couple that with some exercise because Elijah was exhausted from running that distance. Then if nothing works, get on your SSRIs. But I think God has put into each one of our bodies his physical endorphins. When rightly done, 
his way stimulate our bodies to health. And that's what happened with Elijah. Then God called him back to ministry, and he went renewed, not depressed, renewed by doing some simple things. Could you find your story in Elijah's story? I have. Thirdly, if you're struggling to believe, read Numbers 14. The people of Israel were in the wilderness, <laughs> and we saw in 1 Corinthians 10 some of what they went through. And they came out of Egypt out of slavery, and God didn't answer their prayers as soon as they wanted them to, and they got discouraged, and they started to wane in belief. Are you there today? Is your faith dissipating? Well, if so, please remember what God said to the Israelites in the wilderness. Stop your grumbling. Look at your heart. Your words are connected to your heart. And if you keep complaining, God said to them, one more lap around the wilderness. He will keep you in that place until your heart of faith starts to believe. And let me give you this phrase. And if you want to write it down, write it down. I've written it down. If you complain, you remain. If you complain, you remain in the wilderness. God wants people of great faith who believe even if they're in the wilderness, wandering, they still believe in a mighty God who's able to supply and ultimately deliver them from their problems. So find your story if you're discouraged in faith in the story of the Israelites in Numbers 14. Just remember, if you complain, you what? You remain in the wilderness. It shows a heart of unbelief. Do you feel like a failure? Well, if so, join the club of most every powerfully used biblical character. You want to go through just some of them on the list now? Okay, how about Jacob, the trickster, the shyster, whom I constantly tease and say he came out of the womb going, take a card, any card, any card at all. You know, he was the ultimate trickster. And yet God used him powerfully and renamed him Israel, Prince of God. Hmm. Right about Moses, oh, there's an award winner. He was a murderer. And yet God chose him to free the Israelites from their captivity. Mm. Or how about David? <laughs> now there's a real hero, right? He was an adulterer, a murderer, and a cover-up artist. And yet God continually said, he's a man after my own heart. Because after he did that, in Psalm 51, he cried out to God, Have mercy on me, O God. Such a sinner. God loves those kind of failures who run to him and receive his grace. Have you figured out yet in the Bible we can't out the love and grace of God? Let's move into the New Testament then. How about Paul? Well, in contemporary terms, Paul pre-Jesus, we'd call a terrorist. He would be like ISIS. He hated Christians and would kill any Christian who came in his path. He called himself at one point in the Bible the chief of all sinners. 
And yet God used him to change the world, literally to change the world. Or Peter, three times publicly said, I don't know Jesus, I don't know Jesus, I don't know Jesus, don't want anything to do with him. Do you know what's the only difference between Peter and Judas? Judas hanged himself when he was so forlorn. Peter rushed back into the gracious arms of a forgiving Savior. Have I told you yet you can't out the grace of God? And Jesus welcomed Peter back and made him the apostle to the Jews and the head of his church. Wow. So if you think you're a failure today, just come alongside most all the biblical characters. Come alongside me. Come alongside me who has to daily go to that well filled with the grace of God and drink for my parched soul to be healed and well again. And remember this too. You're only a failure if you never try again. So what you failed? I mean, we all do. Now you know how not to do something. You're only a failure if you never get up again and run into the arms of a forgiving Savior who loves to give fresh starts and new beginnings and allow people to start over. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about the cost of being right. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center, and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up all the meals were shipped to the dream center with the kitchen you helped us do so we're so grateful for you guys god bless you god bless moments of hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry thank you very much 
I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you talk about giving up our right to be right. What do you mean by that? Oh, it's Christianity 401, if you will. It's master's level work, and it's called forgiveness. Um, It's what Jesus said we've got to do. He said we have to do it 70 times 7, not that on the 491st time we can sock somebody in the chin because we're (laughs) angry. It means we've got to repeatedly forgive. That 70 times 7, the two numbers of perfection in the Hebrew uh, understanding of numerology, it just means over and over again we have to learn forgiveness because we do step on each other's toes. We do hurt each other. We've got to learn how to forgive. So then the question comes, why is it so hard to forgive each other? And it's really because I think innately we have such a human pride that we need to be right. Mm -hmm. We've just got to be right. It's so hard to say those words, I was wrong. Please forgive me. (laughs) But as followers of Jesus, we've just got to understand the power of forgiveness and giving up our right to be right. When we do so, it's not demanding that others who have hurt us suffer like we have. It's just saying we don't have to prove ourselves right in this situation, and I'm giving up my right for revenge. And instead, I'm releasing all offenses to the Lord, refusing to seek personal vengeance because vengeance is God's alone. He alone claims it in Romans 12, 19. It's choosing to operate in love as the Lord has loved me as I have hurt him so much, uh, someone who has hurt Jesus' heart repeatedly. So when we give up our right to be right, we honor our Father in heaven. We forgive, and then we are the ones who are set free. It's really honoring Jesus' prayer in Matthew 6, 12, which reads, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we forgive others, we receive even more of the Lord's favor ourselves. Wow, this is this is challenging. I feel very challenged right now, and I'm, I'm kind of timid to even even share this, but I do remember feeling like the Lord challenged me personally to forgive a family member even before their heart turned towards me and 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 ask forgiveness, you know, from me. And I just felt like that was preparation and just keeping the garden of my heart pure before the Lord. Mm. And of course, reconciliation came and it, it would have been more destructive if I would have withhold, withheld the forgiveness. So this is important. It is, Jen. And, and Marilyn and I have been married for 43 wonderful years, love of my life. But I can tell you it's not been perfect in every instance. We've had our moments of conflict, and practically every single one revolves around one or both of us needing to be right. Mm. And we entrench ourselves, we defend ourselves, then we get more secure in our need to be right and start lobbing more and more firebombs at one another. The only thing that breaks that problem is when one, and especially both of us, are willing to stop and say, you know what, I have some fault in this. You know what? I don't need to be right. I am loosening my entrenchment. I'm going to move toward you in love and forgiveness. And when that happens, first of all, you look at the issue and go, it wasn't that important to begin with. And secondly, you start to solve and resolve the issue and move in love toward one another. And I would bet that greater connection happens after that point. There's a deeper intimacy that occurs when you don't have to to be right. So good. Thank you so much, David. And listeners, if you'd like to receive a daily moment of hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. It will arrive in your inbox at 7 a.m. every morning from my heart to yours to begin your day with a moment of hope.
This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, hoping you have a great weekend.